The year is 1973. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. podcast where we go deep on marvel history today we're going deep on 1973 this is part one of our conversation Mm. looking at some Mm. truly Mm. momentous occasions in the marvel universe oh yeah i am feeling the moment i am feeling the momentum these comics Mm, not necessarily feeling them that much i'm rubbing these comics all over. let's maybe Okay, we're going to talk about some extremely sad comics today. Zach is getting I'm covered in, a... in floppies, Dave. Oh goodness, we're this is it's not even Bathing late. In floppies, I didn't know we were doing my marvelous year after dark. Where's Nelly? Where's Nelly at? <laughs> it's getting it's getting bumping. Okay, Zach's ready. S- weirdly sensual about some horrific moments in the Marvel universe, and uh, yeah, we're going to get into it. This should be fun. We're getting into. A theme today that I want to be answering about are the are these big moments in Marvel history? Are the stories as good as they are? Uh, mm, that's not a way to say that. Are they are the stories actually as good as their standing and place in canon would have you believe? Right? Yes. Yes, they are. So we're and, and Zach's answer here is next a, a short. Okay, next podcast. We're done. We got it. Um, so yeah, we're going <laughs> to look at some really big Captain Marvel, including the introduction to Thanos. We're going to look at some iconic Spider-Man issues, which which mean a lot for the character and are really like really stage two, if not three, of his development, you know, like the biggest moments in Spider-Man history, uh, as well as some fun Luke Cage, Fantastic Four, a really like resonant and interesting Adventures into Fear, Man-Thing issue. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about today. I'm excited to get yeah. into it. Let's Good do lineup. the club. You can find these lists, of course, um, in the My Marvelous Year Reading Club over if you check out My Marvelous Year or patreon.com slash My Marvelous Year. Uh, there's a bazillion ways you can find them, but that's one of the best ways to do it. And also in the show notes, as always. Yeah, for sure. And uh, by way of intros, I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief <laughs> oh, yeah. of comicbookherald.com. Uh, and joining me on the other line, he is in a world of hate. He's the only man thing with a head on his shoulders. Oh, thank you. Yes, it's that's true. right. He is Zach Dean. <laughs> and we're going to, again, we're doing My Marvelous Year, 73. I, I feel like I'm particularly excited today because we're talking about such big moments in Marvel history. And like, we're really moving into this new era of of 70s comics, you know? Of, oh, yeah. And like, we yeah. are, this is, I think, entirely now, we are Bronze Age. I think we've been kind of straddling that line. And we are out of the Silver Age of Marvel, which you know we gave a definition of at the start of the at the start of the show. But basically, that is the return of superheroes to to like '60s comics and Bronze Age is when we start getting into kind when of get down and dirty. I think that's the like the proper like uh, academic definition is uh, the Bronze Age. Bronze Age is the beginning of comics getting down and dirty. I mean, a little bit, you know, like we're bringing yeah. back horror. We're bringing in some more, um, like, sexual liberation, I, I think we could say. And we're bringing in darker 
stories for sure. So I think yeah. Yeah. Down oh, and yeah. Dirty. Some of, these, some of these are very dark. Yeah, I mean, I think Down and Dirty is a little like because it's not the like mature '80s vibe that we're gonna get to. You know, it's the it's a bit more playful. Like the horror stuff here. I think we look at Bronze Age now in retrospect with a they're kind of goofy still. You know, there's a lot of wild stuff. There's a lot of experimentation. So I think when we say Down and Dirty, it's like it's the fun Down and Dirty. I, I, I like how seriously you took. <laughs> ran with my bit of just calling it down and dirty yeah and uh yeah. well i just and think it's... now it's that you know when we call it down and dirty not that one dumb thing that zach just said i'm trying to prop here's the, i prop you up i mean thank you you yeah, bring me you. down it's just the way the relationship works <laughs> and we find that perfect balance yeah right, right in the middle yeah somewhere yeah. in the muck and the mire um yeah i mean i i think i think you're right though i mean there there are there's a weird shift in like are they just are they just ignoring the comics code because a lot of this stuff is clearly bucking stuff that is explicit in the comics code like you know don't respect don't disrespect police officers don't disrespect politicians never let the bad guy win um you know like that that is all explicit in the comic book code the drug use thing they took the comic book code off of the spider-man issues back in like the the 90s issues right um because it had drug use in it and now amazing spider-man in the 90s not 1990s yeah. like the number yes, 90 exactly. yeah. like issue 95 97 i think um i mean these issues have a bunch of drug use in them and they're you know i don't know they're they're here and they've got the comic code on them so like i feel like they're just you know they're pushing the boundaries of what was okay they're kind of breaking out of the fact that like oh man we need to worry about congress breathing down our neck you know right that right it's moving away from that scare of seduction yeah. of the innocent in the 50s and more into like literal psychedelic drugs in the Marvel offices, you know, like if God, you look I, at. I was thinking that because we, we they talk about some LSD later, and I was like, but aren't you guys like all all into this stuff right no, now? No, like... no, you're getting the you're getting the LSD crowd definitely of creators, and it, regardless of their like actual usage, there's a definite like mindset of expand your mind free your mind kind of you know let's go journey through the cosmos it comes through in the work mm -hmm. of jim starlin steve engelhart we're gonna see a lot of um doug mensch is coming up you know like there's a lot of new creators and a lot of guys who are gonna be marv wolfman jerry conway names that are gonna be big players in the 70s and early 80s in particular um some will last even longer than that you know in terms of being like major influences but you know we're we're still in the roy thomas era of editor-in-chief and he's kind of got a stamp on everything but like there's a new wave of voices here at marvel and it's helping a lot totally i mean where's stan lee I mean, he's i feel like he's completely absent now from all this stan is he i gotta be honest i wasn't paying a lot of attention i, I mean he's he... kind of like in his figurehead role already yeah exactly yeah i don't think he wrote a single thing that we read i think he uh, might or... be i think you might be right stands yeah. stands the man and always will be but i, I do think that's kind of wild when you think about like how long Marvel has been, you know, Stanley presents in all of their issues um, versus when he actually really sort of faded back to the to the bigwig role, you know, rather than the hands on production role. And and Lord knows he did enough in the 60s for for 10 men, you know, between him, Kirby. Oh, uh, yeah. Etc. Sure he is, he's probably like so happy to take a backseat to actually having to pump these comics out every month. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So yep. with all that said, let's start getting into the club list. Uh, and again, if you like my Marvel this year, you made it this far, or it's your first time reading, um, you know, check out the list, of course, read along with us. But also, if you could rate and review on iTunes, that will help us a lot in terms of or, finding or new friend, readers. You know, try to get a friend into the uh, the comic book club with you. You know, word of mouth 
a lot of our uh, listeners came here through word of mouth and it's fun to i you know i've got some friends who are playing along it's fun to talk to them in real life which is a weird concept to talk to people about comics and real life considering how much i do it on the internet i but, don't uh, like it i don't like yeah. it one bit yeah, yeah this yeah, new yeah. weird world you're proposing <laughs> just come uh, to comic I, book herald and talk to me there uh as, as a commenter on the site I, that is my preferred relationship with with discussion something's happening with your mic through that through that whole last sentence it feels like something's tapping on it uh how's that good it just like it felt like someone like you were i was either, wiggling maybe it was the cord Okay. Um, okay. I did, yeah. yeah. Let's. Oh, you have something? Nope. I was just gonna say, let's get into our first issue today. It's a fun one. Luke Cage, Hero for Hire, number nine. Zach, this has been a favorite series of yours since launch. Number nine is, of course, iconic for one particular moment. But we're gonna talk about the whole issue here. It is Luke Cage going to get his money from Doctor Doom. What'd you think of this comic? Okay, so I've read every Luke Cage issue up to this. Mm-hmm. And it's my least favorite. Yeah, because right. <laughs> okay, so I kind of thought you'd say that because yeah, this is yeah, the yeah. this is the like pull it out of context, um, kind of like funny in retrospect issue where you know Doctor Doom says some weird things like I knew when I heard reports of a you know strange black man <laughs> An in Liberia charging the castle. <laughs> yeah, that it must be Luke Cage. <laughs> Luke Cage says, "Where's my money, honey?" To Doctor Doom, like there's these oh, out of it, context funny good. moments. I, I, I don't think I, I like this issue quite a bit. Uh, it's just my least favorite out of all of them. So something I've really liked about Luke Cage is issues one through seven are completely street level. Yeah. Like him fighting criminals. That's it. No superpowers, no weird gimmicks, just like criminals who maybe have like a distinct look to them and mannerisms, but nothing, nothing crazy. And then issue eight, Dr. Doom hires Luke Cage to, um, to fight some robots, to dispose of some robots for him. And, uh, and it's this whole big thing, and it's very fun and funny. And it also feels that much more interesting. It's it's that much more momentous when it's revealed that uh, his, his like, secret employer throughout most of this issue was Doctor Doom. Yeah. Because Luke Cage hasn't interacted with the superhero community. So when Doctor Doom comes along, it's a really fun moment. Yeah, yeah. So, like, because it, it's been building to that, and it's not, you know, it's, he's not alongside all these other supers the whole time. This issue is pretty good. Uh, I just, like, I think it's lacking a little bit of what has been so good about luke cage so if you like this or if you're intrigued by this but this didn't quite do it for you i'd still say like go check back on those first eight issues yeah it's kind of you know i really like him right it's kind of an oddity because he's not he's not really a marvel universe player in the way that this issue suggests you know like you're saying there's a street level he's kind of got his own contained universe and i think that actually works better in general um the reason we read this one though of course is because it has those Marvel Universe connections, and it oh, is it's, kind of interesting. It's very funny, yeah. Yeah, it's funny, but it's also like the issue begins with him barging into the Baxter building and sort of doing the classic fight before we just communicate uh, hero-on-hero mm-hmm. action with the Fantastic Four. And right. it is also, you know, the first time that they're meeting Luke Cage. Like, Reed says he's heard of his exploits, you know, and, and has heard that he's an honorable man and this and that, but it's the first time that the Marvel U, and obviously the stalwarts here, the Fantastic Four, are actually meeting and doing business with Luke. Now, the way this issue opens, Luke busts into the Baxter building, fights the FF, and then demands <laughs> that they give him a rocket. Give me a rocket! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is not, yeah. like, slang for something. He literally wants a rocket ship to go to Latveria. Yeah, and he's just like, you don't like Doctor Doom. I'm gonna go, uh, I'm gonna go rough him up for my money. Yeah. Because, and- uh, what happened in the last issue is that Doctor Doom hired him for a job to fight a bunch of robots that went rogue and disguised themselves as African-Americans in New York City. Mm-hmm. And then 
when he came back to the embassy, the embassy was deserted and Dr. Doom had cut out of the city without paying him. And, you know, it, like, the, the best joke about all this is when he finally gets to Dr. Doom, it's 200 bucks. It's 200 That's bucks the, like, that Luke got stiffed and he's, he will not let it stand. It's the, pr- it's <laughs> yeah, the that... principle of the matter, clearly, more right, than it is right. the money. Yeah, it's, it's so funny. And so, like, I mean, Luke, also, Luke Cage is looking, looking real good. They're starting to draw him with, like, he's got an afro and a mullet simultaneously. Yeah. It's... It's a good look. So, yeah, he goes to Latveria. And, and, and I should say, sub- while you're pointing out the look, this is uh, Billy Graham and George Tuska mm. yes, doing yes, yes. art. Uh, yeah, the, the famous preacher does, does a lot of Luke Cage work here in the 70s. I know, it's I was weird. It's a really weird moonlighting. Yeah. Right, I, I did not know. I feel like that should be his his lead when people talk about Billy Graham. But, um, oh, and Steve Englehart writing. Yeah. Yeah, so um, he goes to Latveria. There's this whole subplot about... That, like, Dr. Doom has created a bunch of robots to become slaves, and uh, there's a moment where the slaves try to get Luke Cage to fight alongside them by drawing the comparison to their slavery to uh, the, like, Atlantic slave trade in America. And Luke Cage is not having it. (laughs) He's like, no, that's fine, but you you need to brush up on your American history. I'll help, but uh, nah. I kind of appreciate uh, that he brushes it off because I had a similar reaction in terms of like, mm, this feels forced and not the issue for this type of conversation. Yeah, um, yeah, and, yeah. and for Luke to be like, yeah, we're going to table that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Weird robots. Yeah. Oh, also the robots are led by an alien uh, who kind of looks like, I don't know, like 70s disco Mysterio or something. Yeah, the I, only thing that I liked about that robot is that at some point his fishbowl head comes off. And just runs off with legs on it, you know, like spider yeah. legs. Yeah, that's which a is nice pretty touch. cool. So, so Luke. Yeah, besides, besides that, that none of this matters. None it's of like it matters. Weird... It's all just like a way to get him to Doom. Um, so he basically agrees to rebel with them for the purposes of getting to Doctor Doom. He does so, and they have a fist fight that it has a lot of amazing moments. The dialogue throughout, obviously, we highlighted some of the faves. Uh, my favorite part of this fight, I think, my favorite and least favorite simultaneously is Luke. <laughs> I think I know it's coming. Luke punches Dr. Doom in the chest yep. and he keeps doing it. And he's like, oh, I think I felt something rattle. So he keeps punching the same spot. And then Dr. Doom's chest basically bursts open. Doom is seemingly on the verge of defeat. And Doom says something to the effect of my one weakness. I never expected someone to beat the same point over and over. It's yeah, the he literally leanest. says it's. It's the only weakness to my armor is repeated contact. It's the... it's the least Doctor Doom thing of all time. You know, like this amazing villain who prepares for everything has has set himself up with a, a weak spot in his chest plate because he didn't expect someone to just repeatedly beat him. Three punches in the same spot. Yeah, it's lame. Yeah. I I don't don't like that outcome. Um, ultimately, Luke Cage basically. He won't allow the rebels to kill Doom, more or less, because Mm -hmm. he just wants to get paid. He's like, I'm not here to assassinate Doom. Um, I'm just here to get my money. Dr. Doom at one point literally starts laughing out loud and puts his hand, like, he's like crying with his hand laughing, with his hand on Luke's shoulder, like they're best friends because of how committed Luke is. I love this moment, because he's just like, I mean, he, he kind of is defeated by Luke Cage to a degree. Yeah. And he's just like... Oh, I, I like you. You're 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 a good guy. I I, I respect you. And he just is like kind of cackling about how like he thinks Luke Cage is like a stand up guy, and he's like, yeah, I'll pay you. Here's your money. And he pulls out just like a, a wad of cash, and a wad of American count, cash. Yeah, just counts out two hundred dollars. And Luke Cage is like, oh, 
all right great thank you bye yeah like that, that's all literally all he wanted he got his 200 bucks and he hops back on that rocket back to america leaving the rebels to die at the hands of doom let's oh, be clear yeah that's that, yeah all the robots come in and then it, it is implied that dr doom just kills all the robot rebels yep which i i don't know if i care about so yeah <sighs> yeah, yeah and then you know there's this rivalry between the thing and luke cage it's kind of funny and yeah it's a i mean it's a good issue i um if you like this, go check out the rest of the series. I haven't finished the, off the series. It's only 18 issues long, and I haven't finished it up yet, but I plan on it. Yeah, so that's Luke Cage here for Hire Number 9. Next on the list, we read three issues of Fantastic Four, issues number 130 to number 132. And these I include on the list because mm-hmm. of the romance, the steamy, mm. oh, romantic, steamy. what do you call it when there's three people? Um, menage a trois. Yep, there's a big menage a trois scene in this one between uh, Crystal, Johnny, and Quicksilver. So, okay, I got a question for you. Thundra, do I need to know who she is or care about her moving forward? So, she, not She's the replacement for Medusa in the Frightful Four. Yeah, yeah. So, we this is a Frightful Four story. Um, they are, I don't know, they're kind of just like attacking the Fantastic Four like they, like they're just they feel bored and tired to me. But yes, mm-hmm. Thundra, she'll be around. She's not a major player. Um, I couldn't tell you a ton about her beyond she's big and strong and like kind of like early she, She-Hulk. She-Hulk. Yeah, She-Hulk, but not green. And she's got this thing about uh, like she really likes the thing. There's a, <laughs> I like, there's a moment where they have the thing at their mercy and one of the other Frightful Four wants to kill him. And she won't do it because she, you know, doesn't think it's honorable or that's not what she's there for. So she picks up the thing and just chucks him, like, across town to yeah. protect him. Like, yeah. oh, don't kill this guy and throws him away. <laughs> you know, like, plays keep away with it. Those dynamics also, are cute and funny, I think. Yeah, it's a, it's yeah, a that's fine, good addition. I don't know. Um, also, Sandman's back in his good costume. Oh, he thank looks, heavens. Yeah, he looks good. Yeah. Thank heavens. So, basically, the big takeaways for me, I, I don't know if you want to do, like, a super detailed breakdown here but my big takeaways from this are one sue storm susan richards now really sticks up for herself and i think this is the first time we've seen her like genuinely leave reed she takes franklin and they leave after this fight with the frightful four um basically reed's kind of taken out his anger on her there he's treating her like she has to be a housewife reed's doing that thing during a battle where he's like Sue, watch out. You need to get away. You know, I can't put the mother of my child in danger. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's trying to, he's getting distracted because he's trying to protect Sue and she's getting frustrated because he's not treating her like a equal member. And I do feel like it's taking those late sixties developments where Sue was just like this bedridden, you know, either pregnant or new mom type thing. Mm -hmm. And it's putting a little bit of a new lens on it here with new creative teams in the seventies saying like, listen, are we going to let Sue be a part of this team or not? Um, and Sue kind of expressing similar angers, I think to your point, like either she's an equal capable member here or she shouldn't be doing it to begin with. And Sue, obviously, these are conversations that a couple might have together. And it's basically like Reed doesn't express these thoughts until they're in the middle of a battle with the Frightful Four. And Sue's out. She leaves. And that's like kind of where we end in these issues is their marriage is, you know, in trouble. Yeah, there's um Sue Storm leaves really angry. But the weird thing about this is how mad reed is and how much of a jerk he's being like he's being such a jerk that it feels weirdly out of character like which is wild considering how much of a jerk he's been like sue storm is like if you're not going to treat me like an equal member i'm taking franklin and leaving and he's like why are you still talking lady you better you know walk out of here 
Like, yeah, he's like challenging her to like, yeah, put your money where your mouth is. Get out of here. I thought it, it felt like the the issue where um where like Ben Grimm was. I, I forget yeah, what exactly yeah, happened, yeah. but something with the negative zone where he was like he turned into. It was a the one where he's he's switching back and forth between Ben Grimm and Thing. And yeah, it's affected his mind. Yeah, no, it was that level of like. He's being really cruel yeah. to her. It's and, right, it's uh, cruelty in a way that's that is unbecoming of her heroes. Like she's not quitting the team. She's taking his child and leaving him, like as a wife. Yeah. And he's just kind of I mean, it, you know, you could see it as him getting mad or whatever. But that that first issue, 130, ends with Reed Richards saying, Not we have to go get Sue back. We have to go like find another member so that find another member so that we can be the Fantastic Four again. Yeah, he's more Somebody concerned about like, keeping the, the four together. Um, and that, that kind of tr- fades in the next two issues. Like, Reed starts bemoaning. <laughs> he starts, you know, feeling a little contrite about driving his wife away. But, uh, yeah. Not a great look for for Reed. I think in, in other news, in the Fantastic Four, Johnny Storm, he's loved Crystal ever since he first laid eyes on her back in Fantastic mm-hmm. Four number 48. I, you know what? Like, we've I made fun of this a bunch, but I kind of liked them. A- yeah. After the fact, after I got over the fact that, like, they fell in love stupidly quick... Once they were actually a couple, like I kind of liked her. Hang being on, around. hang on. There's a there's a dog just walked by my window, and and Zach, I I think I'm in love. <laughs> does it uh, does it have that sad look that you see every time you look in a mirror? Oh, hang on. That's that, just that, that's just my reflection. That look, that look of hunger for affection and respect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no, I'm I'm with you that I kind of I kind of do like the relationship, partially too because it's like. It's bringing the FF and the Inhumans together in a way mm-hmm. that that I do appreciate. But frankly, this is like the end <laughs> of that, um, kind yeah. of abruptly, where Johnny yeah. uncovers, the, like more or less, walking in on uh, Crystal and Quicksilver okay. together. Well, what's really funny about this is Johnny bursts into Adelan, and all of the rest of the Inhumans are trying to stop him physically. Like I think they shoot his jet out of the sky. Yeah, it's like um, <laughs> and it's he's, like he's a wanted man, right? And and he's furious that they like shot his jet out of the sky. And they're all trying to physically stop him, and he. And the entire reason is they're just like, they don't want him walking in on uh, Crystal and Quicksilver. Yeah. Without them like having a chance to tell him what's up, which is just like really buck wild. Like we're we're gonna shoot missiles at you, so uh, so there's no kind of romantic misunderstanding here. And the crazy but thing actually, too is they had like Crystal had to communicate that. So like she went down to the royal chambers and was like, "Hey, Medusa, uh, King Blackbolt, Pietro, and I." We're going to be putting a sock on the door here in uh, about five minutes, and we need you to do everything you can. Do you mind, do you mind loading up the surface-to-air missiles? Let's get the weaponry <laughs> loaded. Let's get the <laughs> battlefront. Let's get Gorgon on the, the front lines here. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. Um, there, there's a really funny line here where one of the Inhumans, as Johnny is like fighting through them and bursting into Crystal's room, one of them says, you must not go to her, not until I have explained to you. And Johnny cuts him off and says, let her do the explaining. In between kisses, flame on, <laughs> <laughs> which is all the much like so much funnier than when he burst in on her and uh, no more kisses for Johnny because yeah, there's this weird thing where like we we forgot to mention it, but back in the Avengers versus the Sentinels thing, Quicksilver ended up being buried under the rubble and uh, and they even mentioned in that issue like <laughs> I don't know why we didn't mention it, but Quicksilver was like, oh my bones inside they're broken. <laughs> Uh, and that's that's like where we left you know why i think we didn't mention it i've i've never really cared about quicksilver (laughs) yeah i mean (laughs) i mean what's what's your take regularly forget he was in the mcu right like god like is he the worst mcu hero oh i mean he's he's no way i think so yeah i mean who 
Who's the worst MCU hero? Well, he gets yeah. the least. I mean, I probably like him in his short spurts more than I like how they used Hawkeye. No, I, I mean, I, I like Hawkeye no, as a character more. I'm no Hawkeye MCU Hawkeye fan, but I like him more than MCU Quicksilver. It's a different pod, but that one's kind of a toss up for me. Um, either way, I'm not yeah, a huge yeah, Quicksilver yeah, yeah. fan. I'm definitely less into the Quicksilver crystal romance, which is like a lasting important Marvel thing like this. Yeah, it goes on for a a while yeah this. yeah no it's it plays a role i mean i can think you go post house of m son of m with quicksilver in the 2000s like the fact <gasps> that he has a romance with crystal is gonna is gonna come up yeah 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 it's fine i mean i i buy it like so basically oh yeah what happens is that like crystal and lockjaw are you know flipping around zapping from spot to spot and they end up lockjaw takes her to quicksilver being buried under the rubble she rescues him brings him back to adelaide Nurses him to health and falls in love with his comatose body. <laughs> Basically, like, it kind of works out. He wakes up and she's like, oh, you're okay, my darling. <gasps> Did I just say that? And he's like, no, it's fine. I love you, too. You're the first person I saw when I woke up. That's how it works. Have we have we considered that Crystal's inhuman ability might be love at first sight? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really works out that way. God, her hair is so big, by the way. Um, Love that big there's hair. There's one other moment I wanted to point out, which is Reed Richards is back in the Baxter building, stomping around furious because Sue's gone. He's, you know, he's mad and he's upset. And at one point he throws a vial of some kind of like ra- radioactive material, something that like is very, uh, very explosive. And that last second stretches his arm out to catch it. And he's just like, oh, I I can't lose my temper like that. I would have blown up the whole Baxter building. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's also, did you notice this, that... In that scene, he's wearing safety goggles and safety gloves that look like the thing. No. They're like orange, rocky look. Like, it looks like he modeled them off the thing, which is actually, if if that was intentional, it's a very funny thing to do. Just that, like, That's a nice touch. safety gloves look like you have thing hands on. Maybe he just, remember how he made the thing suit for Ben back when they lost their powers? Yeah, he just cut the hands off and now he wears He them. pulled them out as, like, oven mitts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the main, the main thrust of these issues is focused on Adelan in the Inhumans. It's an Inhuman story. And we've mentioned it before, I think, but the Inhuman city is run by a subservient, like sub race of Inhumans called mm-hmm. the Alpha Primitives. And they're kind of like Inhumans who haven't been, I don't think they've been exposed to the Terrigen, Terrigen mists. So they're like unevolved. They kind of look like normal people and they live in this subterranean what do they call them? They call them like cloisters. I mean, know? let's not let's not sugarcoat it. They're basically slaves they keep in their tunnels. Like, yeah, it's like they not don't call them nice. That. It's kind of just like yeah, that they have this you know this quiet underbelly of people who work to like keep the city running. The thing is like yeah, and th- these issues are about them kind of rising up against the Inhumans. Yeah, we just haven't seen anything about them. It feels kind of unearned, right? Like we. We've seen them in brief before, but they never really mentioned. I mean, they're a part of their most role in the city. Maximus uprisings, you know, and and definitely yeah, we I have mean, read a few, on, but, like, but they never really like talked about their role in the city before. So th- this kind of felt like I don't know. I mean, it, it's clearly supposed to be a you know a slavery analog. Well, and you like we just talked about obviously Luke Cage, where that you have these robots kind of doing the same thing in that area. I mean, it's very similar to what's happening here, except these aren't uh, artificial intelligences; they're actual living beings yeah so the the one leading this there's this um this idea there's a man named omega or an android named omega mm-hmm. who keeps becoming more and more powerful as he fights 
through the Inhumans and as he leads the charge. And there's this thing where Maximus, the Mad, is in his cell and he's created a machine that seemingly does nothing. They keep testing it and they're like, no rays. There's no rays coming out of this machine. <laughs> That's the only thing they're concerned with is yep. that there's no rays. Um, what it's really doing is feeding, it is drawing in the hate and like racial anonymity. No, no, am, am, racial enmity. Um, enmity. How do you say that word? Enmity. And no, God. En, en, enmity. Anemone. Enmity. The racial hatred. The racial. God, are we both having a stroke? Enmity. 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 Racial enmity. Isn't that what I said? Towards. I don't know. I. My marvelous year at gmail.com. I said the word too many times. What is the word? So this machine is like drawing in those feelings of distaste and um, like superiority or whatever Mm -hmm. towards the alpha primitives from the Inhumans. And it's feeding into Omega and making him stronger, which is like pretty cheesy, I think. I don't know. This didn't really land for me. You know, just like the more you look down on the alpha primitives, the stronger they become. There's there's one good it, it's okay. alpha primitives exploration and it's the 1998 inhuman solo series yes. Yes, by paul yes, jenkins yes. and jai lee um this isn't that you get a it's a tease anyone who likes the inhuman should just jump ahead and read that because it totally stands on its own it's separate from the marvel universe and it's it, it will retroactively make the inhumans cool to you 100 100 percent agree 100 percent agree um yeah, is there so anything the, else you want to say fine. with this other than like you know johnny no, johnny loses his girl no yeah it ends up with Johnny Storm losing Crystal. Pietro uh, steals she, she his him. girl yeah. like he stole your bike. And uh, and yeah, Johnny's kind of, you know, he, le- he leaves heartbroken. He's sad. Oh, and he gets a new costume where he's red and yellow. So Johnny's going to be red and yellow uh, now. Oh, yeah. And uh, um, who joined? Medusa. Medusa joins the Fantastic Four to like round out the, the team. That's right. She steps in as yeah. Sue's replacement again in, um, in a full turn for her where she went from Frightful Four Back to Inhumans, now stepping in to help out the Fantastic Four. Yeah. I liked, uh, I actually kind of liked the last couple pages of the Fantastic Four with Johnny Storm. The way that he, um, Crystal, like, broke the news to him that she was choosing Quicksilver. And Johnny was like, oh, yeah, that that's fine. I've got a date with Doris Evans tonight anyway. And it's like, what are you talking about? You've been here the whole time. Like, you didn't make a date since you got to Adelan. Like, it's so transparent. And then uh, the thing asks him if he wants to go see the Godfather again. He's like, oh, you got any other plans? And Johnny's like, no no other plans and he looks away with tears in his eyes i i all, all that actually really worked for me and i thought that was that yeah. was pretty that was pretty fun so uh, let's th- th- i think those are the two weakest issues we read this year or the two weakest stories and they're both still pretty good everything past this i think is like excellent it's a knockout yeah yeah i would yeah, agree yeah. Um, so next on the list is Adventures into Fear number 12. Now, originally on the list, I had Adventures into Fear number 12 to 15. We'll include 13 to 15 in the bonus round, but I'm going to take them off the main conversation because, they're, frankly, there's so much to talk about in 12, and it's so much better <laughs> than the next three issues that uh, that I'm good cutting those those next three. So I think it, I read... I, I, yeah, I read... Um, I went back and read... I think Adventures into Fear starts on Marvel Unlimited in 10 or 11. I think it's 11, I, yeah. I just, yeah, I just went back and read them all, um, like, up to 15. And I, I don't know, like, I didn't notice a huge quality difference between them. I know Steve Englehart takes over. Wait, no, Steve Gerber. Gerber, yeah. Takes over with, I think, 13, right? Um, but no, I, he's, I he's writing all, from 11 on. on. That's that's why is they he? started okay. there, yeah. So 12 okay. is Gerber, Jim Starlin, 
on art, who, of course, we're going to mm-hmm. see in the Marvel Cosmic Landscape. Rick yep. Buckler on inks, who we're going to see on Rage of the Panther. Uh, John Costanza on letters. And Roy Thomas on edits. There's a moment here. Uh, it's in Adventures in Fear number 13, actually, where I noticed a colorist. Um, you have Ben, I think it's Hurst, uh, on that issue listed as a colorist, which previously we've we've typically just seen like layouts, inks, you know, stuff like that. So we're starting to see mm-hmm. credits maybe differentiated a little bit. Um, but this issue is called No Choice of Colors, and it's a Man-Thing comic, but it kind of shows, it shows the potential of how Man-Thing is interpreted during the 70s, inter- interpreted specifically by Steve Gerber, where he can, he's essentially saying, and this is something we'll see him do with Defenders and Howard the Duck more specifically, but he's saying like, I want to tell real stories with real impact and importance. Here he's taking on racial resentment and like issues of police brutality. Um, but through this, you know, quote unquote, superhero horror comic, except guess what? The the hero or the, the like fantasy element, it's basically second fiddle. Like it's not, you know, he's around, but we're almost just viewing like this real world issue through the lens of this creature. And it's a, it's a very different look for a Marvel comic. It is. Yeah. It, it's by far the most like unique um, difference in genre that we felt. Cause like Dracula, I've really liked tomb of Dracula and it's a horror comic, but that feels like a horror comic still in the style of a superhero comic. This doesn't really feel like this, this, that this feels so far removed from the rest of mainstream Marvel in a way that feels like, it would be weird if Man Thing met Spider Man, right? Know, like there's, right. There's like no other character that feels so far removed from superhero so as Man Thing. Let's talk about Man Thing a little bit because yeah, it's, yeah, I, I it's always a good time, like, and I don't think we really have. Um, no, we don't I, even. I, mean, do I don't too... think I've read Man Thing before. Like, I honestly don't know if I read this the first time. This was your I, first, I, your first MT experience. Yeah, it seemed new to me. Okay, yeah. So Man Thing is he's. The easiest comparison is, of course, DC Swamp Thing. Um, he was, you know, originally a man named Ted Salas. Through explosions, swampy explosions, he becomes the Man Thing. The Man Thing looks a ton like Swamp Thing. He's got a very long, relatively phallic nose. And I, uh, okay, 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 okay. Too Disgusting. too what? gross. Yeah. Too lewd. Too blue. Okay, this is a family podcast. Yeah, you're also, right. Also, I resent that because. He does not look like the Swamp Thing. The Swamp Thing is hard to look at. He's an ugly man. Uh-huh. Man Thing is the cutest little fuzzy squeeze ball that I want to hug who looks kind of like Snuffleupagus. A fun Snuffleupagus He's elephant. like a Snuffleupagus mixed with an owl. Like He's a like owl. if you drop Snuffleupagus into like... In the mud and it's like, oh, yeah. he got all messy. Right, like a big old mud pit. I love him and you will not besmirch his good name okay i appreciate your finding out what you find adorable because he's yeah. gross <laughs> <laughs> no he's very good yeah. I, I was immediately super affectionate for him yeah yeah, yeah. We, he's like we don't even get his origin here he came in like um some some issue of i think savage tales something like that that i don't even know if it's in marvel unlimited but um yeah you don't really need to know much more than he got injected with some chemicals as he fell into a swamp. Yeah, classic classic <laughs> and, recipe for Man Thing uh, yeah. generation. the The craziest thing about Man Thing, and the reason this comic sort of plays out this way, is Man Thing in and of himself. He has like no personality. He has no thoughts. He yeah, is he's, not. He's the most human. Just like what? What's the word? He's um just not a, not even a catalyst. Um, 
He's just the like the point of view character. The the like. But yeah, it's like, know, like it's we, like if the point watched... of view character was like a tree that just happened to be yeah, around yeah, and yeah. but also could exactly. react semi-violently. Like yeah, there's a word whereas for Swamp that Thing has thoughts, you know, and connections to people oh, like and Swamp, things. Swamp Thing wants to become, you know, he wants to get back to being human. He Sure. fights for good and justice, you know, he like drives people out of the swamp. Man Thing kind of just reacts when threatened. 100%. Right? And he like yeah. and he has he has somewhat of a sense of justice, but it's mostly just like it's a very, very rudimentary, like, consciousness. Um, and these comics, these comics get dark, though. Yes, like, for sure. This is, I think, by far the darkest these have gotten. I think issue number 11 starts out, opening page, a man drives up to a bridge and throws a baby off of it into the swamp. Good grief. <laughs> because it's his girlfriend's baby, and uh, it's taken too much of her time, so he just chucks it off a bridge, and Man-Thing is there to catch it. Yikes. Um, yeah, yeah, it's very, I mean, it's very dark. And uh, so, so number twelve. Then let's get into it. We we yeah. open with a white sheriff chasing what he is deeming a black convict through Manthing Swamp. So the entire yep. issue is essentially framed around this aggressively and increasingly racist sheriff chasing. Yeah, I mean he's he's yelling "boy" a lot after him. And so he's, he's like, initially he calling him just "boy" a ton, which is obviously like a a racial stere- like um, you know what? not it, stereotype. It's condescension. You know. No, I mean it's a pretty loaded term, especially in that in that context of a. Oh, I'm not know, disagreeing. A, a, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. No, right. I know. No, it's it's intended there, to convey that. But you know what? Like, I actually think this book does a good job of taking its time, letting you know, like he's not. Um, it builds. I, I, his, yeah, I mean, his resentment it, it, and his obvious because because initially, yeah, you could make the case that he is maybe institutionally sort of got some some racism baked into like his his actions but maybe you know if the if it doesn't play out exactly this way it might not be like i don't know what i don't know what the way to say this is it might not be so obvious i guess is the way that he's like that he hates this man because of the color of his skin exactly like and that takes a little while to build and it's also like it's all small moments like um he's yelling at the guy like you better stop i don't want to shoot you and then he says to himself not much anyway something like that Uh uh-huh uh-huh you know that it, it doesn't uh Good, it's not writing. it's not a caricature of right, the yeah, racist that's policeman that's until it yeah. is and at that right, point yeah. we're pretty deep uh, in the in the yeah. story um so yeah. you know he's chasing this this black man um it feels a, a lot like a setup you know it feels like it's gonna be so the the man running away is mark jackson and basically he tells man thing his story he's being chased he gets shot man thing kind of recovers him in the swamp when he gets up he tells man thing who again is not like a listening person but he tells him his story and essentially the way he delivers it is that you know he's like the only or one of very few black men in town he was you know his family is like the only black family in this town in the south and mm-hmm. basically they have been like i don't know fighting against sort of like institutionalized poverty is the way he frames it yes, and yes. he basically the yeah, they, sheriff they show flashbacks of the sheriff saying you know we won't have any problems as long as you know your place yeah right he says something like oh you know like poor you mean like poor and disenfranchised yes totally so it's a unfortunately familiar sort of framing i think where you can see where this guy's coming from and and what has happened in his life i mean again like this is it's a 16 page story and you get like really mark jackson's full 
full life story in a, in a nutshell. Uh, you get a lot mm-hmm. of the details just in the short, you know, kind of the details that Gerber chooses to include. But he also tells Manthing that, you know, he befriended a white woman. It turns out this woman was, this is recent, and, he, and it turns out that this is the woman the sheriff would like a romantic relationship with. And basically because she's spending time talking to this black man, he is now, like, that is the crime that he is accusing him of, is just talking to this woman. Right. In this time, in certain places of the country, was still a very, <laughs> you know, unfortunately is a uh, a reason that a black man could be targeted. Yeah. You know, by, by law enforcement. Yeah. So, yeah. It fe- so, again, it feels like it's going to be a setup. And it feels, uh, the way I expect this comic to play is like, okay, Man-Thing's going to defend this guy. They're going to take down the racist cop. Um, instead, what happens is there's a big showdown. You know, the, the police officer finally catches up with them. And he tells Man-Thing that actually this guy's wanted for murder. And Mark Jackson admits to this, that he, I believe, stabbed the deputy, deputy who was yeah. responsible, who was trying to take him in, you know, I think we could say unjustly to begin with, um, but yeah. he stabs him to death. So now he has actually committed a violent crime. So there's a little bit of like, I don't know, I, I don't want to both sides it because <laughs> there's a pretty no, clear yeah, wrong I... side, but there's at least a, a twist in the sense of this guy is not 100% innocent in the context of what he's done in response to this as well, I suppose. Yeah, it's it's a little vague in that, you know, like we don't quite know the truth of what provoked him into killing this deputy. We don't we don't see a super clear picture. You know, he kind of frames it. Jackson frames it as the guy just kept pushing him and disrespecting him. Yeah. And he snapped, you know, and it's like, yeah, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't, you know, underline that like his life was in danger or. Was it just like this guy was being really disrespectful to him, and so he, you know, he killed him? It's a swamp. I mean, but again, like swamp thing is just there. To Man kind of thing. Observe. Oh my god, I I knew it. I was knew one I was of on us. My, uh, I was thinking about this earlier today. I was like thinking about what I wanted to talk about with Man Thing, and I was like, I'm gonna say Swamp Thing a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> Man Thing just kind of sits back and it's just like, oh, I, you know, everyone seems guilty here, and. Just takes a takes a back seat as this uh, this cop shoots Jackson dead. Yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, that's and, the uh, biggest. That's what makes Man Thing I think so different is like he is he is inaction inaction. You know, he doesn't he doesn't take a heroic role. He doesn't really hardly do anything. He just lets things play out. And then after he sees it, he sort of he has a vague notion of injustice. And then the big thing with Man Thing, the big thing about uh, Man the cool, Thing, the like the coolest thing about him. It's, it's his, it's it's so his one detail, and it is pretty good, and it's that whatever knows fear burns at the Man-Thing's touch. So the cop gets a little scared, sees Man-Thing approaching. The more fear Man-Thing feels, the more they're going to burn at his touch. And basically, Man-Thing hates fear. He's an empath. So he feels emotions, and fear, it riles him up to the point that he has to like reach out and grab this guy who's full of fear now, and he burns him alive. So <laughs> the story ends it's... with both characters uh, wiped off the map. Yeah, yeah, it's so strange. And I mean, Man-Thing's burning is not like always necessarily burning down to ash. I think um, it's also this kind of thing where uh, later on he's going to fight some guy and he grabs his hand and in his hand is a sword and he like molds his flesh around the sword by like melting it. Yeah. So, you know, he's got this kind of like supernatural quote unquote burning that's not necessarily just, uh, you know. Like an actual medical burn. Right, right. He also, he does frequently just burn people like in a roast, you know? Like he gets yeah. up on the mic and just these devastating jokes. 
it's pretty great. <laughs> Just, uh, I have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. I, was, I wasn't ready for that. I, I caught on to what you were doing too late. And, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it happens. Yeah. But anyway, this is, uh, it's a Marvel comic that takes on police brutality and racism. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, sure. Uh, that's kind of wild. And again, you know, it's 1973. It shows a lot, I think, of like the way Steve Gerber is going to approach comics. You know, he's not, I think this topics scare a lot of writers and especially I think writing superhero comics, like they don't feel like they fit. And in the pages of adventures into fear, it feels like they fit. And I think that's an achievement. Yeah. And this is what I was talking about with like the comics code would never end with our hero burning a cop to death. Right. (laughs) Right. 10 years ago. Yeah, totally. Um, So issues 13 to 15, again, I'm just going to say like, this is where you see how this series can take such different tones. It brings in a lot of mysticism. And yeah, yeah, it's a huge shift into like fantasy. This is where it starts feeling like, um, I feel like Alan Moore must have worshipped the series, right? Like Alan Moore, I feel like Alan Moore took more from, well, just because like it feels very linked into this, like the swamp is this nexus for supernatural, supernatural happenings and this, uh, you know, there, there are portals to other, other worlds and connections to deeper realities in this kind of like metaphysical thing happening with the swamp like the swamp is this mystical place in and of itself it's this dangerous unknown and i mean at the, i think so swamp thing happened in 71 and this seems like a clear ripoff of swamp thing but swamp thing is mostly just fighting bad guys like a traditional superhero and i don't think like this same exact thing is going on over there though i could be wrong um in man thing you mean no in swamp thing I don't think Swamp Thing. Oh is no, like, no, right? As, no, this is this is as, unique to Man you know, Thing. It's on the the arcane and this like because they keep talking like this swamp in the Everglades. Man Thing Swamp is this you know convergence of many different planes. It's and literally so it's the crossroads of reality. It's oh, it's kind of like um, yeah. I feel like they're hinting at something bigger. No, I'm saying that's what it's like, called. It's called oh, the crossroads okay. of reality. Oh, isn't it the the nexus of reality? Ooh, or the nexus. Is? Yeah, you might be right. Yeah, I think. Um, nexus of all reality but that's going to come up like leading into howard the duck as well that this fact that it's like yeah there's this weird (laughs) alternate dimension reality yeah that's that's how howard the duck you know gets to our universe okay and i don't i'm not worried about spoiling that because it's howard the duck i mean (laughs) and i'm sure nobody's mad about that yeah i did i didn't see that coming okay yeah weird yeah so like there's that idea you know it, it reminds me kind of like um buffy buffy the vampire slayer with like that whatever sunnydale the town it's the Hellmouth. yeah right so it's just kind of like an excuse for this to be a, a weird place where stuff happens where, where demons come through and wizards come yeah. through and yeah all yeah, that we, stuff. I, don't, I don't know if like i need to get into the details of the next couple issues but you know there's a bunch of like there's cultists working to summon demons slash you know fight back demons there's portals with uh this woman named jennifer kale who i think is a big a big player here that is like empathically linked with swamp swamping man thing god yeah jennifer kale uh, is to man thing as abby arcane is to swamp thing you know she's kind hmm. of the not quite as romantic interest but definitely connected um you really can't have a romance with man thing (laughs) in the same way you can tell me if this is a a spoiler but i i had the man thing um wiki pulled up and i just opened up jennifer kale's uh wikipedia page okay or marvel fandom page one uh, the picture on the right of her is her dressed in like all black with green skin, red eyes, and silver metal plating. Uh, like she and she's floating in the air, like a, an evil version of the Wasp. 
Yeah. And, and then also over on the right, there's a, a table where it just lists her relatives. And it is just deceased, 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 aunt, deceased, cousin, cousin, deceased. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. like, you don't want to be a relative of Jennifer Kale. Yeah, the Kale family uh, doesn't have a doesn't have a great run. But yeah, she's yeah. she's the biggest player here, as well as Dakim, the enchanter, the wizard. That uh, he he sucks, <laughs> but he's going to be around a little bit in that. Um, wait, is in that, that the guy to Howard when, the Duck? In because uh, they go, they end up like man thing ends up going to atlantis but in the past yeah right that that's like yeah he's is that, around is that he's around in is those that spelled out explicitly in the comic that that's atlantis oh yeah for sure is it okay I, I i think i missed that and i'm just reading it now in the wiki so <laughs> i wanted to make sure i wasn't spoiling that yeah yeah i mean it, it's interesting that was actually my least favorite part is him like fighting a gladiator fight i liked him more being passive right when they turned into like he's a gladiator i i, I wasn't that interested yeah but uh Man, yeah, big man thing fan here. Big yeah, the, man thing. I think so the two of us. That, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just just a couple man things. There's. It is interesting how uh, since seventy two and seventy three, the comics I'm most interested reading are these weirdos that like I don't know. Fantastic Four has fallen off for me. Thor, Spider Man, Spider Man a little bit, not totally, but like replacing it with Luke Cage, Man Thing, Captain Marvel, even like. That's, Speak of the Devil, next yeah, on yeah, our that's, list. That's, we got Iron Man number 55, and then we did Captain Marvel 26 to 29. The Iron Man connection here is real weird, <laughs> historically, but uh, yeah. it basically just happens to be the issue that Jim Starlin got to start with and introduce his, basically what was going to be the next like five years of cosmic comics. He introduces here Thanos, Drax the Destroyer, yeah. And uh, the players on Titan, who are all going to be, obviously, big parts of Captain Marvel. So these are some of my favorites. What um what were what was your reaction and what was your takeaway here? Uh, I I like them. Yeah, I like I like these more and more. Like every issue, I got sucked more and more into this. Uh-huh. Like I was surprised at how much I like these. And I think like we've got six five issues here. I think that mm-hmm. we read. I don't know if I want to go through like beat by beat everything that happened. No, I think we, we should talk a little bit picture like, because it's a yeah, let's it's talk, a big like, the world connected story he's doing here. Yeah, yeah, and it's all going to build to next year, like an Avengers versus Thanos war that um, primarily plays in the pages of Captain Marvel. But yeah. this is the you know the Captain Marvel specific setup, and I think Captain Marvel for us has been it's a name now in 2019 Boring. that is. Well, and that is most closely associated with a completely different person, with Carol Danvers. And yeah, there's the right. 70s Captain Marvel, um, Captain Marvel of the Cree, who, to this point, yeah, is, is associated kind of with a bore. Rick Jones, the biggest diaper baby in all the Marvel Universe. Yeah, our least favorite. In all the universe, not just Marvel Universe. I think if you went to the Nexus of Realities, you would find that every reality has there a Rick Jones. There is no bigger diaper baby. And yeah. he's always a big old baby. But um, Or Ronan's Body Slave, one of the two. But I feel like slaves been said a lot in this issue, and I don't mm, feel great about yeah. that. But but here we are, um, Captain Marvel. He gets good. Jim Starlin takes him and he makes him yeah. interesting. He takes yeah. the cosmic focus, and basically what he does is Captain Marvel doesn't necessarily change so much as all the pieces around him get so much more interesting that the scale of what he's has to do and what he's capable of doing, um, it has to rise to the occasion to meet like Thanos who here, through these pages, is on the hunt for the Cosmic Cube. So we, let's talk about these, let's kind of break down 
all these components. So Thanos is introduced, and he is from Titan, which is a moon of Saturn. Mm-hmm. Actually, a moon of Saturn, which the MCU version is not correct. Like they they haven't they're not postulating. I, I'm assuming I that I don't know that we Thanos. Well, no, Thanos it must not like be. A, it must not be. He he isn't like a six month trip by 2018 NASA rockets away, right? <laughs> like. I, I don't be, know that they were bonkers. super clear about it, but yes, this is specifically the moon of Saturn. It yeah, is like in if, our if solar system. If the conditions system. are right, I could pull out my telescope and see Thanos' planet. Yeah, you could see him waving. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so they're from Titan. And then the, the bigger backstory that we get is that the, these <laughs> the Titans on Titan, which is a little confusing, are from Greek mythology, which I didn't expect. I didn't know this was coming. The yep. like the Titans, which are like the precursors to the Olympian gods, the father of Zeus, Kronos. Yeah, started you know started Olympus, built Olympus, uh, had Zeus and another son. I can't remember what his name is, but when sounds like you Kronos, don't remember your Titans. I don't think he's a real god. The one who becomes mentor. I don't think he's uh, he's like an actual like Greek god. Yeah, but Zeus is Zeus's brother. Zeus kind of starts going war crazy. His brother. Uh, decides he doesn't want anything to do with this. He wants to live in a peaceful land. And he leaves Olympus and goes to the, the world of Titan and creates this utopia there. There's, I think it's already kind of war-torn and impoverished. There's a society there. And he turns it into this peaceful utopia and goes by the name of Mentor. Yes. And then he has two sons, Thanos and Eros, which death and love. Um, and then also the other big player is Kronos is... <sighs> Kronos is still around... But he is equally dispersed throughout the universe, <laughs> right? Like something happened to him. I don't. I don't remember exactly what it is. But like he basically was atomized, and he can still kind of appear, but he doesn't have like a physical being. Yeah, anymore. and if, if you remember Eternity from Doctor Strange comics, he kind of becomes a big like face in the sky. <laughs> yeah, know? right, right, like right. face yeah. in the stars kind of guy. Um, but yeah, no, that was a good summation. Uh, of course, Thanos, I think, is so well known at this point that we probably don't have to describe him in a ton of detail other than to say um, he starts out pretty svelte. He starts out a bit light in the pages of Iron Man. He Did will you, develop. Also, he uh, he forgets to wear his pants. He does not Man, have pants. Which, I, I do like how I many villains really... show up without pants. Galactus, Thanos. They all <laughs> they add pants later. They show up without pants, and then the next issue they have pants on. And it's just like, I feel like issue after issue, we've got an artist who's probably at the office just being like, no, I'm telling you, like, he doesn't need pants. It's fine. Yeah. They put out the issue. They get the response. And everyone in the office is like, we told you. We told you. This has happened time after time. Yeah. People need pants. Yeah. You can't just, you can't just have them go out in a bikini bottom. I hope there's a sign or was a sign in the Marvel offices, like, up on the walls that said, people need pants. <laughs> All caps. Thanos does look very funny because he has, like, you know, a big full chest plate of armor on. Mm. Like, he is not, you know, sparsely armored. He just has, he's got big boots, big chest plate, no pants. Yep. Big purple thighs just blowing in the wind. Yeah, but he does start out pretty, pretty he's like close to what he's going to be. And definitely as Captain Marvel progresses, you know, he's increasingly getting there. So we get the sense of this extremely powerful being from the planet of Titan who has turned on his family, you know, is clearly an enemy and is seeking essentially godhood. And this is the element of Thanos that has remained pretty consistent from day one, that he's looking here for the Cosmic Cube in order to transform himself into, effectively, God of the Universe. He's always looking for ultimate power on a scale that, honestly, like, 
Doctor Doom has not come close to achieving, and even the mm-hmm. Red Skull, right. who has held the Cosmic Cube a number of times, has not come close to using. Yeah, you feel like Doctor, not Doctor Doom. You feel like the Red Skull wants that Cosmic Cube, and then it's just going to create like the Third Reich. Yeah, on all the Earth, right? That's all he wants. And Thanos has like much bigger plans. Yeah, Thanos and makes I, the I Skull know, look like, like a hateful chump, and I appreciate that yeah. about him. Yeah, there's um. Wait, let's let's keep let's finish up the plot stuff before we kind of talk about how this works or not. There's um, there's a character named Drax the Destroyer who doesn't really look or act like the Drax we know from Guardians of the Galaxy. Nor will he, he until 2004. Oh, okay. He does get like a, a character shift. Oh, big time, big time. Yeah, okay. Drax from from here 73 to 2004 is like totally different than what you're thinking than uh, okay. what most mcu yeah. fans are thinking of yeah yeah totally I, I mean there's a weird backstory thing that i know changes into like something kind of bonkers isn't he like who gets is that in these issues or no because otherwise no that's it's coming not soon. I'll... yeah yeah so, i'll cut that out yeah so like in, his like... his story yeah he gets a really bonkers right he's he's created basically by mentor um, he's kind of like, he's a human who's he's resurrected. Created, no, he's created by Kronos. Or by Kronos, excuse me, for the purposes yeah. of killing Thanos. So Drax yeah, the Destroyer's entire like, goal, and this is the one thing the MCU did take, and it never really yeah. worked, you know, like the way they tried to do it. Um, but Drax's entire purpose, his entire motivation is to kill Thanos. This will remain pretty true for a good, even past the 2004 change in the character up on through mm-hmm. like a 2000s event, like Annihilation. So I, Drax here, he is... Strong, tough, and literally a single-minded killing machine. But he's not like he'll become kind of brutish and hulkish. He's not there yet. He's a little more intelligent at this point. Yeah, and he um, Thanos keeps kind of like just imprisoning him instead of killing him because he wants to toy with him, which we keep seeing. Uh, Thanos goes to Earth to find the Cosmic Cube and finds Death there. Lady or, Death, or like Death is it? It's not Lady Death yet. Because I, that, that's what I know this becomes. But, like, the, he specifically refers to death as a he here, which I think is going to change. Ooh. We're going to see, like, death personified as a woman yeah. like, in a big way. Ambiguous. In a big, important way later. But, um, yeah, and he gets into a big fight with Drax on Earth. That's, like, one of the coolest moments that Thanos just has this, like, really interesting, very trippy, very, like, acid trip fight with Drax where he just puts him through this, like... Uh, what does he call it? A mind time sink warp? Mind time sink warp. Let's yeah, do the mind time sink just, warp again. It just rolls off the tongue. Yeah. yeah this is it, one of my favorite. Good. So this is where Jim Starlin as a creator, it's one of the most memorable moments for mm-hmm. me from this sequence. I, I love Starlin's work. I particularly love this sequence because it shows, one, how like cosmic and trippy he's going to take his art. It shows how inventive he can be with panel layouts. You know, he's got all these like... Drax v Thanos things where their heads are twisting and squirming into like weird alternate realities. I think it takes yep. a fair amount of inspiration for maybe those early Ditko strange, you know, dimension warp type say, stuff. He he feels like yeah, very inspired by Ditko, but then took the like the abstract nature of Ditko's work and gave it a grounding. Yeah. You know what I mean? With while still keeping it like very wild and very trippy and like very mind-bending, but it's more than just, like, there are three triangles intersecting in space. Yeah. And, you know, here's a bunch of weird shapes that you don't understand. Like, it all feels a little bit more physical 
right? If that makes any sense. I think he's very good. Yeah, Strawn's very good at action, at physical action. It's very easy to tell what is happening and the sequence in which it is happening, which is like a pretty underrated comic skill because how many of these have we read? Obviously, like we talked about this a lot with um with 70s avenger or like late 60s to yeah. 70s avengers where it's like we're zoomed in on everyone's face i don't know what's happening starlin and it, and it and that's just like two people punching each other this is two people punching each other while like one of them turns to stone and then the other one's like fists and head inflate yeah their body shrinks like all these weird things are happening to them because he's in his in drax's head yeah yeah it keeps the action moving it's a ton of fun um and and of course this being uh a theme that will recur Thanos wins, <laughs> and uh, and Drax is left, uh, really just the the victim of the mind times sink warp. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he breaks out of it at some point, but um, Thanos like gets the cosmic cube at the end of these. Yeah, and then there's also you know there's this big subplot about how Earth Earthlings are all enslaved by a underling of Thanos called the controller, the controller. who is. He's the least interesting part of this to me. When when the controller showed up, I was kind of just like, ah, we don't we don't need this. Yeah, the this controller's guy's... not great. He has discs that uh, he can you know slap onto people and control them. And he's he, like, like a less interesting in purple and... man, I guess. Yeah, he he came in and one at one at a time uh, dispatched the Avengers. Yeah, and I like I didn't buy it. I was just like, he just took down Vision, Black Panther, Solo, and it was like. And then he was this goofy guy with a bunch of like mind control discs. The one thing, yeah, the one thing I do like about it is we get a few examples here of Thanos like dispatching underlings. I think he's got the brother's blood here in an earlier issue where Captain Marvel mm. and the oh, Thing yeah. team up. He's got the, the Super Scroll yeah. involved. Um, I I like the idea of him being behind the scenes and pulling the strings of a number of you know villains that yeah. are otherwise not as interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Like we haven't had that much where we have the kind of like high tier villain who's just kind of throwing lower tier villains at somebody to their own means because he he leaves the super scroll to fight off i think captain marvel and he leaves him with this green orb and he's like if you need it you can use this to defeat him you know it's loaded with my power or whatever and the super scroll is beaten and bloody yeah and he pulls out the orb and he's just like come on work and then nothing happens because it was just you know he was just he was lying to him to you know to get him to be a distraction yeah basically yeah totally and and it's great. It's a great moment. And uh, Captain Marvel knocks some teeth out. Yeah, Captain Marvel's interesting. Rick Jones is fine. He's here. Like that, he's here and he's fine. Was, yeah, that was tough to say, but like he's okay. Yeah, like he's. Uh, I and this was when you were, I think, first doing your your first rant on how much you hated this little boy. <laughs> I I was thinking of Spank these issues. That boy, right, right. And your your big. I, I don't need to go into that again. Um. <laughs> These were the issues I was thinking of in terms of thinking like, actually, I think Rick Jones has value and I kind of like him as a sidekick and a character. These and then the like Peter David written Hulk comics that'll come much later. But um, he's like, I don't know, the the whole thing where Rick Jones and Captain Marvel split and share like a body feels increasingly unnecessary as this comic yeah. progresses, you yeah. know, and I think yeah, I think Starlin's it doesn't add much. Right. It's kind of recognizing that. But as a voice to have that counterbalances the, you know, big Cree hero talk versus sarcastic kind of teenager talk like it actually helps spice things up a little bit i think in that internal monologue i think the other the other big thing happening here is that captain marvel runs into a being in the negative zone called eon that's right and eon is going to be a big deal moving forward despite like his very strange he's weird looking i can never in my head it's like um it's like the thing i can never recollect 
You know, it's like this this vision. I mean, that, that, that I, might be intentional. Yeah, it's like a dream state thing where I'm like, I I can kind of picture it, but I don't really know it's what like the a, looks a like. Nebulous green ball with like a human face, but then also one big like Shoggoth eye on it. Yeah, it's a big, gross eye. Yeah. it's kind of like a Resident Evil monster. You know, they always have that one eye that's way too big. Yeah, it's them. kind of a it's kind of gross monstery, like in a but yeah, in a cosmic but, sense. But then the fact is, he's like a well spoken cosmic entity who's been here who was like created at the beginning of time and sent forward just to stop thanos in this moment yeah is the the point but he's gonna he's gonna be a big deal like i I remember him coming back like decades from now and becoming like part of the pantheon of cosmic beings um and he's here to like power boost the captain marvel and kind of put him on the right path to be a defender and a protector of earth rather than like a warrior yeah whatever Whatever that means. And he also bestows upon Captain Marvel the cosmic awareness. So basically what happens here is Eon helps Captain Marvel level up. Um, he needs to get him, yeah, you know, yeah. to a power set that he can actually fight a Thanos with the cosmic cube or at least have a chance. And he grants him cosmic awareness, which is a vague, very 70s acid trip concept. But essentially, like, Captain Marvel is at one with the universe and he's kind of he's kind of got a sense of what's happening out there in in the grand cosmos that you know beyond just his own individual self if that makes yeah. some sense um he's not like uh, all seeing yeah. it, it it's vague i don't have a great sense yeah, totally. of what cosmic I, I awareness really, is i didn't pick up on that actually so it's a power set. <laughs> i kind of just yeah yeah i kind of got him that like he got a new costume he's blonde now he leveled up yeah and uh, and he's off to prevent Thanos from becoming God and uh, yeah, taking over the universe. The story doesn't the story doesn't end here, so I assume we're picking it up in seventy three. Yeah, or we're seventy four. We're definitely going to keep reading this one. Uh, it's going to cross over Good, with Avengers. It's it's we read we read four issues of Captain Marvel, and I finished, and I was like, oh man, I I want to see where this is going. Yeah, I was like really hungry for more, which is. I don't know, wild. Like, yeah, it's absolutely one could, of my 70s faves, yeah. for sure. We, we had a question, and we'll probably talk about this in more detail, but like, it's definitely, once we hit 73, I'm like, oh, good, I can recommend people just stick with Captain Marvel as a run. You know, it's it's clear to me the types of comics I would recommend people, like, pick up and, and don't put down. Yeah, yeah, I I mean, I, w- I, I didn't remember reading this, so I kind of had the idea that, like, it wasn't that good because it didn't stick in my mind, uh, but, yeah, it's great. I loved it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I, let's, I mean, let's talk a, just a second. I want to kind of brush over why this works. Because this is very similar to, um, I think, the Skrull Kree War in Avengers. In that yeah. it's this big sprawling story where there are, at any time, at least two, if not three, parallel running stories with different characters in different places. Including sometimes just following the villain for a while, which is interesting. Yeah, Jim Starlin just has this ability to keep everything like really well paced. And really lay out the stakes beat by beat so you feel like they're all doing their own separate things, but it's all for the same end goal, right? Like everyone's focused on the same thing, even if we're, you know, kind of focusing on smaller arcs within this bigger thing. Mm-hmm. And it just like, I don't know, it just sings like this whole. Also, the writing is like not overburdened. The writing is very uh, like the text boxes. I read them. They were good. <laughs> I mean, that that's unusual. Yeah. Like, I, I usually end up skimming over them. This was actually a time where I noticed the letterer had changed from, um, who's our, our regular guy? Uh, is it, is this Tom Orzakowski? Is he on yeah, board this yet? Is. Who, yeah, who's our, who's, yeah, it is. Who's our, who's our regular letterer? Um, well, we got Sam Rosen and Artie Simak for the last yes. 12 yeah. years. 
essentially. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's it's noticeably different in the uh, the text boxes look look quite a bit different the narration boxes yeah it's just yeah very very good i'm i'm an enormous jim starlin fan i mean i think he's one of my favorite marvel creators of all time i think he's without question if i was going to do like a power rankings of who's who are my faves throughout all of marvel history i mean he's a top 10 probably top five guy for me uh the, I think the comparison to Kree Skrull War is a really interesting and apt one to make because they're going for a similar level of cosmic. And I think to your point, like this one, Captain Marvel just feels more focused. And it, when it takes pages away from like the direct plot, it actually feels like it's building. You know what it's building towards. You know where right, it's yeah, ultimately yeah, yeah. going. And there's not really the fear, and it validates this, that it's going to get away and not come back. Well, the, st- the stakes are always clear. You always yeah. know, like, what every character wants in every moment. Where at the Kree Scroll War, it was a lot of just, like, I don't know ultimately, like, what side we're on. Are we fighting the, Sk- the Skrulls? Are we fighting the Kree? Like, There's also a literal, pre- like, who's fighting who and where war? are they fighting questions, which yeah. I think yeah, yeah, distract yeah. From, from enjoyment. Um, yeah, I, I think I would agree with that assessment in terms of, like, preference and why why it works what works etc i do think there's a, a thing to be said here as well about you know we're in 1973 we just talked about reading what was it five issues when you include iron man and you know marvel and, and creators they have not come even close to perfecting like the multi-issue arc you know like we talked in 66 about galactus being a big deal in in technically three issues but really like like maybe two total when you take out the half half issues that aren't connected um about but, college yeah 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 but by the time we hit 73 you know it's like it's not just that it's an ongoing series it's that like well what would be you know what we now think of as like the collected trade edition of this story right right yeah. the, the yeah, really yeah. continuing so. saga Cree scroll war is a clear example of that right you put all those issues together they form one story um but starlin's doing that with captain marvel in a way that like the rest of the Marvel universe is not doing that necessarily at that point. That's not going to become the regular routine uh, for a bit of time. And I think that's another thing yeah. that why this connected, at least with me reading it in a modern context, because it reads like a comic coming out today would in terms of like yeah. building towards an end goal. Yeah. And I, I don't mind, like we're about to talk about Spider-Man and these are three issues that um, like two of them are very strongly linked are part of one story and then the third one isn't, but it still is like continuing from the first two. And I like Sp- yeah. Spider-Man is a little bit different flavor of that, where it's not these big overarching stories, but it always feels like each issue blends into the next. You know, even if the, the individual issues are a little bit more compartmentalized, you still feel like the same things are happening to Peter Parker issue by issue. And I'm not going to say um, so one, I'm not going to say one sp- one version is better than the other even like no, no, two good issues they're, they're two different and you're two out different flavors yeah exactly of, uh, yeah of how to tell a story and i you know i think both can both can be done really well as we're about to about to talk about totally yeah, i'm i'm just happy that like i i was worried i was going to come in and have to be a jim starlin like spoil sport and you know talk about how i didn't like this that much and i don't know i i didn't think iron man I, the iron man issue i thought was okay i liked it as an introduction of thanos uh, but then I was worried it was all going to be like that. Yeah. But with Rick Jones. Yeah, I was concerned too. I had typed up my resignation, and I I was I have my mouse over send right now for my resignation. For, <laughs> I typed up your you resignation type... to send to you to send back to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I will not need you, to send that now. Have you have you seen our email for the next variant cover? Someone already sent me an email saying like, 
I hate to do it, Zach, but you're dead wrong about Jim Starlin. <laughs> I was like, I didn't even say I disliked him yet. Heck yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah. Well, I'm glad you yeah. came to that realization on your own. Yeah, I mean, it'll be fun to... I, I think, too, like, we're going to get to some of his Warlock works. You Maybe you'll like those as much, maybe not as much. Um, but, you know, this gives you the grounding for what that type of comic is going to be. All right, we're on to Spidey. That's how we're going to end this thing. Um, we've got two two segments of Spidey here. The first is Amazing Spider-Man Annual number nine, which is a reprint that I missed on the reading list mm-hmm. for 1968 of, what yeah, is it? So, Spectacular something. Spider-Man Magazine number two. Okay? Right. So right, this right. came out this year for reasons that are going to be pretty obvious once we talk about Amazing Spider-Man 121 to 123. I don't want to necessarily do the beat-by-beat on Spectacular Spider-Man Mag number two. I What I'll say here is it's Stanley, John Romita, Jim Mooney, and Sam Rosen. It takes you back to the 68 Spidey vibes, for sure. It's a really good recount of the Green Goblin's story and history up to that point, as well as what brings him back to the Marvel Universe. And it's it's a clear, a clear inspiration for the Sam Raimi Marvel uh, Spider-Man verse with the Green Goblin movie in the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Although, so uh, in, in our reading order, you had the annual coming after these issues. Mm-hmm. So I read it after reading the 121 to 123, which was very anticlimactic. Yeah, kind of a bummer <laughs> like, to read after. Yeah, it, I think we should flip that on the, uh, on the goal I list. Also, I think like two-thirds recap. Um, yeah, honestly, I, I wasn't that hot on the... Uh, we can go over the story. It's a ton annual, of recap but... about the Green Goblin having just done the club. Like, that's kind of boring. <laughs> you know, we just yep. read that stuff. I think the scene that is good here, that that is the the Raimi verse that I think of too is uh, the dinner party. So Storm and Norman Osborn, he remembers he's the green goblin and he throws a dinner party to celebrate his own health recovery. <laughs> and he throws it and invites Harry Osborn, his girl, Mary Jane Watson at the time. And he invites Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy as well. So the only element that is totally different from like Raimi verse is uh, you don't have Gwen Stacy in that movie. Right, yeah. Right, but there's a ton of tension there. You get the scene of Stormin clearly remembers now that Peter Parker is Spider-Man because you remember the big reveal in AMS 39 and 40 was he knows Spider-Man's true identity. You know, he's very menacing and threatening. He tries to break his hand when he's shaking it, but the others can't tell. And Norman's kind of losing his mind until Spidey, you know, sneaks away to the phone and starts a fire. (laughs) So the two of them basically can escape and have their, uh, their brouhaha. The thing ends... I think quite um, quite satisfactorily, where Norman is throwing his pumpkin bombs. He throws a hel- hallucinogenic one at Spider-Man. And, yeah, that was a good sequence. Yeah, yeah. and it, you know, it freaks Spidey out, but he also realizes in that moment, this is how he can win the fight. And he forces a hallucinogenic pumpkin back on Norman, and it causes Norman to just totally lose it again. And he... he loses his memory because of like the drug spider-man forces on him basically it's, it's the opposite of what like hallucinogenic mushrooms actually do which this dose actually gives him ptsd as uh as opposed to you know the actual therapeutic uses you can you can do with them now is that right yeah this is uh welcome to I've, my- I've never done a hallucinogenic pumpkin bomb because of what it appeared to have done to norman osborne i was scared stiff yeah yeah it gave him uh schizophrenia is it scared straight <laughs> so you t- yeah, scared stiff sounds like a the sex thing. I, I mean, they're both sex things, but um... <laughs> all all scaring is a sex thing. Okay, welcome to my marvelous. <laughs> well, year. that's not what I meant, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, he has this like 
nice little trip freak out and uh where he I, I like that he sees green goblin like coming out of the smoke of the pumpkin attacking him and he sees all the rest of his foes but then he yeah he doses norman with it and then holds up the green goblin mask and spider-man's face and he's just like you're afraid of the green goblin yeah. you're afraid of spider-man and you know like makes him it's like a version therapy no it's the opposite of version therapy it's a version uh exposure i, I don't know i'm sure yeah, yeah, yeah. He make he makes him frightened. These it works. Things. It also feels unnecessary. It feels unnecessary to me. Like I feel like we were already there, right? Where Norman Osborn had these repressed memories and of what? Like we skip of like you know he knows who Peter Parker is and he already had like been bonked on the head and forgot it. Uh, oh, so it so like it undoes it to redo it again. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, like I felt like I didn't need to read this. Like and it was okay. <laughs> like I, I i think just the fact that we plopped this back in the list after having missed it like four years ago five yeah. years ago i think i was thinking it was going to be much a much bigger deal and then it kind of felt like a retreading yeah I, territory we've already been in I, that's an interesting point i think reading it out of sync like this which is you know again how it was released like that's not totally just being weird um as an annual it does it has less of an impact i think it's fair to say like i think if you mix this yeah, in with the sure. 68 comics it's kind of like, oh, this is like a kind of a wild Green Goblin story to, to mix in here. I, yeah, it probably yeah, maybe, fits better in the context of that year. Landed better for me. Yeah, yeah, no, I can see that. So let's get into then the big ones. So Amazing Spider-Man 121 to 122. This is the story arc forever known as, spoiler alert, Hour 20 into the My Marvelous Year pod. If you don't want to know what happens in Amazing Spider-Man 121 to 122, stop reading now. Go read DC you know, or something else. Just for all the people who are not in the Slack. This is my most like guarded secret because I know that there's a few people in the club, yeah. in the Slack, who don't know that this was coming. Sure. Like they really don't know this is gonna happen. And so like I think it's very funny that, you know, someone writes something about like, yeah, that time that Gwen Stacy gets killed and I have to like oh erase their message real quick and then send them a message being like, I'm sorry. This is ridiculous because it's a forty year old spoiler. Yeah. But like, I don't want to ruin the fun for people who don't know it. So like um, yeah, it's, it will be nice to uh, <laughs> to be able to cool it and stop being such like a, I don't know, overly protective mod. Yeah, no, it is the death of Gwen Stacy. It is yeah. it is Jerry Conway writing, and it is um it's a huge one in in the life of Spider Man and and what the character is and really the whole trajectory. It's also I think you know to what we talked about at the beginning of the pod. It's clearly a signal that like times are changing. And Marvel is going to approach story in in significantly different ways. And this character that seemed like, not seemed, was a core element, was the, I mean, I would say the core romantic lead of the Marvel Universe. I mean, aside from like maybe Susan and Reed, obviously, have been married now for a yeah. number of years. I guess yeah. they're a bit the biggest power couple in terms of being on the same team. But in terms yes, of just the, pure, just like invested in the relationship and the ups and downs of the relationship, yeah, I'd say on par or more than Reed and Sue. Yeah, I mean we're approaching, you know, like I don't know, it's been what six years, seven years of good Gwen Stacy content in Amazing Spider-Man, yeah. and yeah. and here they take her off the board uh, at the hands of the Green Goblin, and I don't these issues, man, they're really sad still, and a lot of that is like knowing. Knowing the impact it's going to have on Peter Parker on this character we love, um, but it's it's brutal, you know. It's not. It's like it's a it's a pretty horrific tragedy. I think there's a few ways to look at it. 
One is in the moment, how shocking this might have been. And then I think, two, there's probably a lot of good conversation on this already. But, like, when you look at it now and you realize, like, the, o- the, way, the only way they could maybe think to get out of a funk, because I think we agreed Spider-Man's heading into a funk here. And yeah, the only way they could yeah. think to get out of it was to kill the essentially the female lead of the book, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, which maybe there's maybe some co-leads, but that's besides the point. Like, it's it's not a great look in a modern context, for sure. No, let's, let's, let's break this down. Yeah. I, I think this is worth talking about. I don't think that there is intrinsically a problem with killing off the romantic, like, side character of a superhero. I think the problem happens when this is because i okay i think the issues are one killing off the main character's boyfriend girlfriend husband or wife becomes a cheap tactic to elicit emotion Mm -hmm. and to make your hero mad yeah right like it it is overused and it's kind of a a cheap trick when you just kind of pull it out you don't like earn that i don't know earn that core to it where you like know this character and like this character and they're a fully fleshed character but it definitely wasn't overused at this point, I think for it Marvel totally is. No, it totally is. Like no, no. In in nineteen seventy three, I'm saying you disagree. No, I think so. Yeah, totally. So many girlfriends are dead at this point. Like the last few years, they have been like stacking up. Like I guess we did do that that Iron Man issue. Where the Iron, girlfriend Iron I can't Man even remember just died. Yeah, yeah. Janice Cord just died. Uh, Submariner's girlfriend Dorma, Lady Dorma. That's right. Yep. Um, there's one other that I'm not remembering i mean uh dr strange's there's that woman in dr strange who went crazy i don't know if that was a romantic lead though there's definitely one other that i'm not she's fine she's just screaming like an edward munch painting (laughs) she'll come out of it (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's a fair point that's fair point gwen gwen is the only one where it feels like we got to know gwen like she's a fully fleshed out character as opposed to dorma who was always just the damsel in distress or janice core who was there for 18 issues Uh uh-huh um, I don't think there's anything intrinsically wrong with it. It only becomes a problem when it's re- like pulled out repeatedly, right? It's a problem that becomes a problem when it's a trope because like it just becomes this is the way, you know, female characters are just there not to be like characters with agency and characters of their own, but to be the plot devices to get your hero mad. I think I, I think right? I 100% I, agree with you. I th- and, and that's, that's the problem. I think Gwen Stacy actually works fine generally. Like, and I, I was, I was worried that I was going to be a little more like put off by this. I, the only thing that gives me pause is that Peter Parker, the next couple issues, mostly spends it being a little, like wallowing a little bit about how this is happening to him <laughs> more than that, like poor Gwen that she was killed. Like, it's a little bit more focused on like, I don't, I don't know well, that that's wrong. I don't no, uh, like I mean, maybe, maybe it's not. He's a, but you like, know what? He's like a 20 year old. Yeah, 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 sure. Is Peter Parker even there. 21 at this point? You know what I mean? Like, he's he's a very young man who is deeply in love. And I, I don't know, it's kind of unfathomable. But the fact that he would turn that inwards to his own personal loss doesn't sound no, I don't, inherently I don't, wrong no, to I, me. There, there are just a few stretches of, like, monologuing about this that just felt, a, like, a little strange to me. Yeah. Like, there, there were just a, a couple... I don't know if I can express it exactly. There were... um. Like, either either being, like, a little blasé about it, right? Like, mm-hmm. by the next issue, he's already just kind of like, oh, man, I just got to get out and clear my head. Maybe I should go have some fun. And it's just like... That's kind of that's 
Well, he's trying to yeah. sh- shake it off already in a way that felt like hurried. But what's the good? But what's the good response? You know, is it truly an issue of like a genuinely depressed Peter Parker? You know, where he yeah, like, sure. doesn't leave the a, house a little bit longer, a little bit longer. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, th- I think so. Right. I, 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 I do I feel do like, like there's a missed this man, this monster issue in here, which is you know because that's the Ben Grimm depression issue, and like this one, yeah. I don't know. It would have potentially made sense. It doesn't really. Okay. That doesn't come until like Spider Man Blue. <laughs> which is a six-issue miniseries by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale in the early 2000s, which is all reflection on, on Gwen and how it still impacts yeah, Peter. Yeah, I feel like later they will explore this in slightly more interesting ways. Speaking of which, this had one of like the most interesting and subtle like single little details that I'm like obsessing over, which is... So what, what happens is that the Green Goblin is... You know, he remembers who Peter Parker is. He wants to get back at him. He takes Gwen Stacy to the top of the Brooklyn Bridge, right? Sure. I think it's the Brooklyn Bridge. And uh, in the midst, she's knocked out unconscious. In the middle of the fight, Spider-Man picks her up. Mm. And Green Goblin knocks into both of them. And Gwen Stacy goes flying off over the side of the bridge. Yes. Peter Parker webs down to save her and grabs her in time. But when he pulls her up, she's already dead. Green Goblin says, she was already dead before you snatched her because falling from that height would kill anyone. Which, that doesn't make sense. You no. don't die from just falling. There is a tiny little word, like action bubble, mm-hmm. that pops up that says, snap. Yeah. In the shot of Spider-Man catching Gwen Stacy right by her head, that, like, they never draw any attention to at all, but suggests that, like, her neck broke when he grabbed her. It, I, it's me, subtle. That... It's very subtle. I, I think that is the correct reading. Of this, and it is also it's a really harrowing detail because yeah, it, no, it totally it implies like Spidey. I, again, it's like I wouldn't place any blame on him. No, for no, this, it's, it's but not he would that, place blame like, on himself for yeah, this absolutely. Exactly. And it also like this is a thing I've seen referenced where now when he saves people, he shoots for like all these different joints and he shoots a number of webs because of the way that shooting this one line resulted in you know pulling Gwen too hard as she fell i you know i don't i don't think there's any like well if he hadn't done anything she would have been fine but the reality is he's a young spider-man still who did it wrong essentially for him and couldn't say the thing is like i don't know if that is entirely like i i think there's an argument here and that's what i think so interesting oh i think it's intentional I, i i think so too but i also think it could just be like the snap could be the sound effect of you know him catching her yeah i think that's a that's a really good call out because it it does i don't know what it changes so much as it may it does change a little bit how peter parker maybe reacts to this instead you know because like he's gonna blame himself either way and the guilt of peter parker is obviously a big part of what drives him and this is we had talked way back when i don't remember what point but you'd ask like what are the fundamental moments in spider-man's life and number one is the death of uncle ben yeah, we've been tiptoeing around this. Yeah, number two is the death of Gwen Stacy, right? Like, this is one of the biggest shifts in what Peter Parker's life is going to be. Everything from this point forward is before Gwen Stacy's death and after. Like, it is this mm-hmm. huge, momentous shift in in what it's going to mean. And obviously, like, there's a lot of there's a lot of new directions Spider-Man's going to have to go. And I think that's probably a net good thing for the series. But it is like, I don't know, do you think Gwen got... Do you think Gwen got a good enough run, essentially? Like, because she was uh, a fun character. No. Every time she was on page, no, I, I like her. I really like Gwen Stacy, and I like her relationship with Peter. Yeah. But that's basically all she is, is a relationship with Peter. Yeah. Right? Like, 
what does Gwen Stacy do for a job? You know, like like what was she in school for? She she's in college, yeah. But like, what's she going to school for? What does she do outside of school? Like, we we don't get any of that. Yeah. She really exists as the girlfriend in all of her. Like, I, I've talked about this before, so I don't think she is. You know, she's not Lois Lane who exists outside of Chloe Clark. Clovis Clark. <laughs> Clark Kent. Clovis and Clark. Uh, Cloaca and Clark. Um, do you think this was the right decision? I don't know. I mean, it was either. <laughs> I feel like this is one of these things where it was just like either make her more interesting or kill her, you know. But like, isn't it? I don't feel like I don't feel like Spider Man's lag had anything to do with Gwen. I think I think you flip the thing you just said, and what they're thinking at the time is either make Spider Man more interesting by killing her, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, like that's yeah, I yeah. think that's where the inherent problem of it like comes into play. Gwen Stacy. Okay, I think the options were either Gwen Stacy finds out who. That Peter Parker is Spider-Man? It's crazy. She still doesn't know. Yeah. She needs to be seriously fleshed out or she kills it or they kill her off. Because, like, what's the other option? They just keep kind of, like, on again, off again, hot, cold, trying to work on the relationship despite Peter Parker being absent. We've seen this for a long time. Yeah, I mean, they're, right. There's a version that is maybe kind of stale, which is the relationship fizzles out. and yeah, Or, yeah, and then the, she just dumps him like Betty Brant did. And that's so boring. Like, we've seen that. Yeah. And it's not that interesting just for, like spider-man to be the reason that another relationship failed yeah i mean i think so right i think so i mean this was not a bad choice i don't think well and i think one thing it does particularly effectively is it puts it it puts that that premium on secret identity back on on spider-man in a way that like is you can't almost can't walk back from because now it's when people find out my identity the people i love die you know, it's not yeah. just like yeah, I mean, this, a neutral threat this is anymore. This the example that you use when we talk about that, right? Like, this is the example of this is why superheroes need to keep their su- secret identities yeah. because their uh, their Gwen Stacy's will get killed. Yeah, and I think we've talked about that is like the fact that everyone still has a secret identity is sort of this weird, like the fact that Iron Man has a secret identity until like, you know, way, way deep into the, the Marvel future. I'm not going to even say when um, is, is strange. It's like, well, why? But the with spider-man it works so much better and this reasserts the fact that like that's a core element or at least a core element to these creators you know that to the teams working on spider-man at this time that like that's part of what makes their spider-man work and the way to really send home that that was essential is is this death of gwen stacy arc um yeah it also cements the green goblin's place so let's yeah. let's finish yeah, the story I mean, here because the, like the anger that peter has for the green goblin yeah like, you, they really do a good job of selling his like fury and that he's gonna go kill him yeah and i mean it cements what's crazy here is peter parker's you know furious with the green goblin and this issue ends with the death of the green goblin peter doesn't kill him per se but he well Pete, their peter fight is going leads to... to his death yeah he beats the green goblin and then at the last moment he relents and realizes that like he won't get any satisfaction from killing him. And the Green Goblin, just like in the Sam Raimi movie, activates his glider to, like, stab Peter from behind. Yeah. Peter dodges it, and it pins the Green Goblin to the wall. I and love really, that scene. Like, I love that Really action. evocative yeah. imagery there of the Green Goblin getting, like, picked up and impaled against the wall. And, like, I mean, spoiler, I, I hope you know this. The Green Goblin is going to come back. I have no idea how. Yeah, I right. I was actually, like, reading this kind of surprised, like... Man, like, he's dead. Like, Norman Osborn is dead, dead. Like, how uh, how are they going to write their way out of this? I mean, I, I'm i glad because Norman Osborn's such an interesting villain. But also, like, this was a really good end for him. So mm-hmm. it's a little disappointing. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't... 
I wouldn't worry about that too much, honestly, because like it really does take Norman Osborne off the board. Um, and it also oh, yeah, like for... what's crazy is it cements Norman as the most impactful Spider-Man villain, but also like in the in the most limited reps. You know, like Doctor Octopus, I think it was probably the clear number two for me. Um, but he shows up over and over again, and sometimes it's memorable, and sometimes he's married Aunt May. Sometimes <laughs> it's a gang, yeah, a gang war. <laughs> right, exactly. But like oh, when God, Norman, wait, 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 what? I just, just got it. Hold that thought. There's the moment at the funeral where Aunt May is there, and Peter notices that like she's walking around with the uh, bodyguards that Doc Octopus has sent with her. That's right, because she is living in his property still, I believe. It's so funny. <laughs> it's just one one panel, one throwaway line of just like, oh, Doctor Octopus's men are following her everywhere, yeah. guarding her. <laughs> it's yeah. such a strange like thing to be happening. Okay, yeah. What were you saying about Norman? I was just gonna say in. The amount of times he shows up compared to how impactful it is when he shows up as the Green Goblin, like the ratio is super in his favor in terms of like the payoff. I mean, I think honestly of any Marvel villain, obviously I love Doctor Doom, but in terms of like this villain's here, this is going to be an iconic story. I think Green Goblin's got the title from the the WU through now. Yeah, this cements him as the best villain in Marvel, I think. Yeah, right. yeah, the, ba- me, the best I mean, of being I, the worst, I, for sure. I mean, it's yeah. like I mean, no not, one else has this like, impact. Yeah, right, right. Um, so let, let's move on to the rest of the story. The uh, the other big thing happening is Mary Jane is uh, is kind of coming here. And Peter, she's trying to comfort Peter. And there's this interesting thing that happens where, like, Mary Jane's flightiness, that is basically all we've seen of her, is coming into play where she's trying to, like, you know, Peter, I'm here for you. Do you need anything? And he's just like... Yeah, give me a break. You wouldn't cry if your mom died. And, like, just being so, like, nasty to her. Yeah. You know, like, who are you kidding? You don't want to be here any more than I do, you know? And, like, and it shows her, like, really calmly, like, <laughs> just kind of taking it on the chin. And uh, I, I really appreciate like, this dynamic here because it yeah, it, builds, yeah, really it builds MJ into the totally new character, more or less, that we're going to get to know. Um, but yeah. it's also, like, it's a pretty authentic response. You know, from someone suffering from such a, a horrible loss, just like taking it out on someone who absolutely does not deserve it, who's trying to be there for you and lashing out in this way. It's like, it's hard to read Peter acting that way, but that's kind of the point, you know? And and she just responds with like dignified silence. Yeah, you know? like, right. It, it's a surprising response from like these comics, which I feel like generally either would be just like, all right, Buster, have it your way. And she stomps out. Yeah, the yeah. Snappy retort, or it would be like the, you know um what's the word the kind of like long-suffering female character who's just there to support the guy who just be like i know he's hurting but he needs me more now more than ever yeah and it's it's neither of those like she just she doesn't respond and she like closes the door and just puts her arm around him yeah like it's it's really good (laughs) yeah yeah it's the most like interesting character moment we've had for mj right and and i mean like and not in a weird gross way where i was just like ooh, new love interest you know like no it didn't, no it didn't it's feel not like too that. fast like, um it's yeah. it feels sensible and again like they're part of a friend group it's not like it's out of nowhere you know yeah. she oh, we also yeah we also forgot to mention uh harry osborne is schizophrenic from a dose of lsd aka mind soap <laughs> 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 that's what peter calls it um yeah oh, they poor talk harry. about it like you know you take you they talk about it like uh acid is a drug of abuse you know like <laughs> <laughs> like he's got an addiction to to dropping acid and uh you know he's just been <laughs> on lsd trips every day and it's broken his brain yeah 
And uh, yeah, it's, it's a very funny, like, your grandma's idea of what acid is. Um, My grandma has very yeah. sophisticated ideas of acid. I will have yeah, you I mean, know. honestly, I don't know. My grandmother might have more experience with acid than I do. Um, the, what else did I want to talk about? Oh, yeah. Um, 123, J. Jonah Jameson is like, had enough of this, and he decides to hire Luke Cage to bring in Spider-Man. Well, he's the, what he's had enough of is he's blaming Spidey for Gwen Stacy's for death. For Gwen's death. So right. whether oh, he yes, heard yes, the yes. tiny snap lettering or not, JJJ is using this opportunity to immediately pin the murder like he did Captain Stacy's murder. Oh, the murder of on Gwen, Gwen and Norman Osborn. Which he talk about that, uh... right, Which talk about like heartbreak to to you know just being abused by this guy who's harassed you in the news for years. Yeah. Um, oh, the other detail we should mention is that Luke Cage found Norman Osborn's body. Right. That is Luke a crazy Cage. Marvel trivia question. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So like he's the one who found the Green Goblin's body and removed his costume so that it, they only, the police only found Norman Osborn killed. Wait, what was not, his reasoning? I could not tell you. I'd have to look at I that. Ju- I read it less than 12 hours ago, and I don't know. If it, that's I mean, right, I that's think crazy. It was, <laughs> it was something pretty hollow. Yeah? Uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't something like particularly compelling. It was just like, you know, I wanted to protect Norman Osborn's identity or something. I don't know. But why would Luke want that? Yeah, I'd have to look at that again. Um, but yeah, yeah Luke, but Luke sees yeah. the news and he's, you know, he's a hero for hire. He's going to take up the gig and try to get Spider-Man. And, um, you know, this one's all about Luke trying to track down Spider-Man and bring him in. And as you'd expect, it's it's the classic what we saw in Luke Cage number nine with the Fantastic Four. Beat him up and then talk <laughs> and resolve, you know, is more or less how the issue plays out. It's kind of, a, it's a it's an interesting follow-up to the death of Gwen Stacy. You know, it's, it's, it almost feels lighthearted i think because of the I felt like it characters was, uh, it, it reminded me of 101 following 100 where 100 spider-man gets six arms and then 101 is more focused on like a new vampire, a vampire than right. it is what's going on with peter you know in that way of just like i could have used a whole issue of peter just dealing with this without superhero yes yeah. you know like i, I think that could have been useful before they moved into this it's a little bit where it's a little where like monster of the weaking and not to call Luke Cage a monster, but hero of the week, you know, yeah, comics no, like kind of plays mean, against yeah. you. Um, yeah. Where, you know, okay, like, okay, we just did this two issue <laughs> like movie back to the formula. And it feels a little strange, I think definitely, but it's, it's interesting. Yeah. It's not like they ignore what happened, obviously, like it's still an epilogue, um, but it's, it's kind of, it's a weird epilogue to be like the first time Spider-Man and Luke Cage met. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, you know, I was been looking forward to for a while too, because you know, they're both like, the 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 most street level New York City heroes yeah and I kind of thought they'd they and they did have kind of an interesting meeting I just uh, I think like it felt a little I don't know felt a little rushed distracted because of the stuff with Gwen Stacy but um yeah really good like these really lived up to the um the hype for me yeah and I, yeah kind of worried that they wouldn't I think they do um I think you know and kind of I don't necessarily subscribe to the theories I was saying about like oh you killed a female character therefore it's inherently bad I think you gave some good conversation on that i think these comics are are quite good and they're quite important in the life of spider-man so yeah just just i mean yeah it's one of those things where like i mean even even when it's problematic because it's just using female characters as plot devices i think it actually goes both ways if you killed husbands and boyfriends it's just a, a can be a cheap story device and that's i don't think th- i don't also. think this is cheap i think but is i don't where we i don't think this out. Is either of those things yeah you know so like this is one of those things where like it matters. The context matters, right? Like, right. It, just like anything, you know, it, it, 
that the conversation is often pretty reductive about this. Um, and I mean, we've, I, we've called it out before. I think uh, Janice Cord was like a pretty boring use of a female character just for, you know, emotion points. I would say Probably that's, Dorma that's the same thing. Example A of a bad version of this. And I would say the death of Gwen Stacy is like a way that it, it does make sense, I guess, if you yeah. if you can make yeah, sense yeah. of something so yeah. so tragic. Um, all right, so there's a podcast I really like called Binge Mode. They go through all the uh, Game of Thrones episodes, and every time somebody dies on Game of Thrones, they play a different sound effect. Um, typically, it's like ringing bells, but oftentimes it's like specific to the character. So I was thinking, I don't know if you'll <laughs> want to do this or not, but for Gwen, I feel like we play some go-go music, you know? We say, <laughs> that's, that's Mary Jane. R.I.P. Right? Gwen. She liked to get out there and dance too, don't you think? You know, that's when I think of Gwen, I think of her hosting a dance party that will soon be interrupted by Craven the Hunter. So maybe it's some go-go music interrupted by a lion. What what about uh, you know, because she like fell off the top of the bridge. Like a somber <laughs> Oh, come <laughs> on. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, not what i was thinking Wil, just the wilhelm scream yeah <laughs> great okay I'll, I'll cut some go-go music in little go-go uh, little uh, wilhelm little I'll, I'll, a, lion. A, I'll do a, a go-go version of that sarah mclaughlin song that plays over like the sad the sad animal infomercials great mm-hmm. great good yep. yep sounds right so that does it for 1973 part one this was a big one we're gonna be back yeah. with 1973 part Two, we got uh, the big old Defenders yeah, Avengers up? War coming up, as well as Rage of the Panther kicking oh, off I'm, I am the debut ready. of Shang-Chi. We got some good stuff coming up. Um, yeah. All right, cool. Again, this is My Marvelous Year. Music for the show is by Disaster Peace. You can check out Disaster Peace anywhere you find your music. Thanks, as always, for the theme song. You can find all of the reading lists for the My Marvelous Year Club over on comicbookherald.com. Uh, if you go to mymarvelthisyear.com, it'll redirect you to the page with all the lists. You can find... Let's list the, uh, the like, the, the real... Let's see. The, the most accurate place you can find the list for free, show notes, Comic Book Herald reading, the, the Comic Book Herald email club, and a dollar backing on Patreon get you, like, the absolute up-to-date list. I like to lead with the most inaccurate place you can find the list so that <laughs> yeah. we have lots of confusion. Oh, it just saves me emails if, I, if we're specific. Yeah, right. No, that's, yeah, that's what yeah, I'm trying yeah. to avoid. Um, yeah, if you want to support the show, if you like the show, please go on over to patreon.com slash mymarvelthisyear. You can check out different tiers oh, we're, for support. We're getting so close to that ultimate show. We are getting close to the goal that will get us to do an ultimate show. You know, I try not to check once you tell me it's getting close because it'll just make me nervous. Um, so, But yeah, we're getting close to an ultimate universe show, which I think people will really enjoy doing an ultimate universe reading club if we get to that point. So check it out if you're interested and uh, and maybe we can get that going. I've got a new mic today. So if you liked how I sounded on this episode, write at mymarvelousyear at gmail.com with subject line, Dave sounds good. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's uh, totally Patreon money. So, you know, that's how I updated my mic. That's how he got his and a new audio interface. So Yes. Hopefully it sounds good and not like some kind of uh, metal music that you think it is. Um, I did record a version of Lou Reed's Metal Machine music earlier, uh, trying to use my new equipment and not knowing what I was doing. Um, but mm-hmm. it, except instead of all guitars, it was me talking about the best DC comics of 2019. If you can, mm-hmm. if you can try to yeah. combine those two things, uh, you will have the recording. Maybe I'll release it as some bonus content on uh, the Patreon feed. I don't know what your thoughts are there. Okay, so the poll for 1973 <laughs> is... <laughs> are you ready for this? Because I just came up with this and... Uh, okay. You don't... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is this is coming at Dave Fresh. Okay, you, Dave, mm-hmm. the listener, mm-hmm. are Professor Xavier. Oh, I'm a jerk. Yep. But 
oh, you lost your powers. You got a bonk on the head. You got no powers. No hair, no powers. Yeah, no hair, no powers. Um, you're just minding your own business in the X-Mansion. And a robber breaks in. And he holds a gun to your head. Oh, no. And he says, you have to choose one of your original lineup of X-Men for me to kill. Or I'm going to kill them all. Okay. Who do you choose? So Jean it's... Gray, Hank McCoy the Beast, uh-huh. Bobby Drake the Iceman, uh-huh. Warren, War- Warren Worthington... Angel. Ding, 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 or... ding, 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 ding. Oh, can you hear the train? Yeah. Chugga, 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 chugga. Just a second. Let me... Chugga, 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 chuggington. Okay, well... You don't know the two-year-old train turn... songs? Oh, I thought you might now join me. Now I can't me. cut this out. It's, it's can't miss radio. <laughs> yeah, give me that Netflix <laughs> that train show. Oh, yeah. Warren Worthington the third, a.k.a. Angel. Oh, my God. It's so loud. Just keep going. It's um, nice ambient noise at the end of the episode. Yeah, and... Uh, or Cyclops... Scott Summers. This, is, uh, this okay. is just one of those things that you do to your parents when you're eight and right. you've got a sibling. Who's your you favorite? Just go. Yeah, if a robber broke in and said you had to kill one of us, who would you do? <laughs> who would you kill, Mom? <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, yeah let's do so it. That's original rich, X-Men. Original X-Men. Who you, you got? Kill? If you were Professor X, I want to put, actually put that out there, that that part is important. You think that changes it? Oh, yeah, I think so, because then you can like kind of get into... It definitely rules out Gray, one of them. Got, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because I've got a, a weird thing for my 16-year-old teenage student. Yuck, professor. Yeah, I mean, if, if you don't want to choose Jean Grey because of that, that's on you, Grosso. I feel like... That's specifically to Dave. Yeah, right, right. I, I don't like being Professor X. I want to be. I want to play somebody else. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that does it All for right, yeah. this episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for your support. And as always, we will see... Wait, wait, I forgot. Zach, do you have something to say? No, what? Oh, okay. Okay. You've had a change of heart. That's fine. That's fine. I don't remember. We'll see you next year. Oh, I love you all. Goodbye. (laughs) See you next year. (laughs) See you next year. Trying to trick me into forgetting that I don't love my children. I thought you'd want to say it.